Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. London, 1679. Combining the color and adventure of Alexander Dumas and the thrills of Frederick Forsyth, early scientists Henry Hunt and Robert Hooke of the Royal Society stumble onto a plot to kill the Queen of England. The Poison Machine is a nail-biting and brilliantly imagined historical thriller that will delight readers of its critically acclaimed predecessor, The Bloodless Boy. Tune in as we speak with Robert J. Lloyd about his recent novel set in Restoration England, The Poison Machine. You're listening to New Books in Historical Fiction, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Robert J. Lloyd, after a 20-year career as a secondary school teacher, has returned to painting and writing and is now working on the third book in the Hunt and Hook series. Rob, welcome to New Books in Historical Fiction. Thank you. Rob, tell us about yourself. Have you always wanted to write historical fiction? What was your pre-writing life like? Okay, well, um, no is the, uh, the the straightforward answer to, to that. Um, I did a fine art degree. I, I wanted to be uh, a landscape painter. So when I when I was uh, still at school, um, did uh, you know the sixth form A level art um, went on to the uh, the degree I, I wanted to be Britain's next great landscape painter. Uh, the degree I did though in Coventry was um, conceptually very uh, very strong and interesting and, and various lecturers uh, on there um, which, which uh, I kind of en- ended up being my, my mentors um, meant that I moved towards um, a far more kind of um, conceptual i suppose you'd call it but but it was video photography performance time-based art um and i i got very interested in object making um and and from being very kind of expressive and splatty my uh, my work um, became very kind of uh, neat and uh, you know, all, all my um, beautiful dovetail joints that I, I made for my furniture, you know, had to be just so. So I had quite a significant change in my uh, in my approach. So I, I did um, three years of the degree. Uh, the, the thesis that I did, because I was interested in time-based artists and um, especially the work of Marcel Duchamp, um, I, I did my thesis all about time um, and the, the science and philosophy of, of time. Uh, so that led me on to, to finding an MA uh, degree in Newcastle, which was history of ideas. So I, so I moved from the brush to the, uh, to the pen. Um, so, so that was when I discovered uh, Robert Hooke, who all these years later is one of the main characters in my books. Um, and my my MA thesis was uh, was all about Robert Hooke, but um, you know I, I, my my CV is full of um, interesting and strange things. Um, so so from architectural ironmonger to cinema projectionist to uh, ice cream vendor, 
Uh, and then I became a teacher. I was a teacher for years, and, and it was about then that I kind of sat down and uh, decided that, that I would write a thriller. Um, and, and because I had all of the, the, the research on, on Robert Hooke and the early Royal Society, um, I, I thought, wouldn't it be great to have um, Hooke and his, uh, uh, his microscopy um, as, as, a, as a kind of investigator uh, able to analyze um, evidence and uh, uh, so I've, I've said this before but but, but it, you know a CSI 17th century London that, that was my, uh, my my kind of move to the, the writing of the, the first book <laughs> your novels are set in the late 17th century in restoration England what led you to write about this particular era well, the um, the thesis um, led me to the science, but the the, the centre itself, and, and um, particularly, uh, the, the, I mean, the, the first book has a, a civil wars mystery um, that, that gets answered in the late sixteen seventies. Um, but I, I was I was interested in the civil wars. Um, Robert Hooke, if you you uh, look at his life, he um, went through the the plague of 1665, the fire of 1666, uh, the the restoration in 1660. Uh, he was appointed um, surveyor to the city of London after the fire. Um, so uh, things like the uh, building materials that houses were made from to make them more fire resistant, the the widths of different classes of, of streets. Um, you know that, that still bears the uh, the, the imprint of, of Robert Hooke when we walk around London today. So it's a fascinating time, um, uh, quite quite apart from from the science. Um, and and also when when I started writing, uh, that there, there was a lot of um, historical fiction based uh, around the Second World War or the Victorians or the Tudors. Uh, there wasn't very much. Um, in the 17th century, there, there were a few kind of civil war things, but that, that particular slice of history, uh, I, I felt I could move into, and I, I wasn't really treading on too many uh, other authors' toes. Tell us about the main characters of the Poison Machine, Harry Hunt and Robert Hooke. Okay, so um, Robert Hooke um, was... Uh, Born on, on the Isle of Wight, born in 1634. So he's in, he's in his um, mid forties when my books are set. Um, but he was a uh, very a uh, very interesting character. He he didn't really have a, a standard schooling. The, the account seems to suggest that he always skipped lessons. He was too busy making things. So even as a child, he uh, he, he made a, a working clock from wood. Uh, which, which apparently works, um, quote, pretty well. Um, and he made a, a warship, a model warship, which fired its cannons as it uh, went, went across the, the lake. So he was already a, an inventor. Um, when he went to Oxford, he was picked up by a, a group of people um, led by uh, John Wilkins, who were experimentalists. They were new philosophers. Uh, and I think they recognised his ingenuity uh, and before long, he was employed by Robert Boyle. And uh, one of the things that he, he did for Boyle um, was to uh, manufacture an air pump, which features in, uh, in uh, well, both my books, but mainly in, in the first book, um, which could create a vacuum inside a glass receiver. 
um, inside which they did various experiments on respiration and combustion and uh, uh, and the, you know the, the, the standard um, idea then uh, was nature abhors a vacuum but uh, Hook uh, along with Boyle um, disproved that that you, you can create a, a vacuum or, or a near vacuum um, and uh, experimenting inside that vacuum tells you interesting things about the world as it is that the absence of air tells you uh, what air is important for. Um, so, I, you know, I, I imagine all sorts of puppies and rabbits and birds you know, suffered in the course of their their experiments, but they, they, they found out all sorts of interesting things. So, you know, I, I had the, the air pump. The, the bloodless boy was uh, the, the, the whole idea um, stemmed from uh, the, the image that I had of a, a boy small enough to fit into the receiver. Um, uh, because one of the other things that they experimented in was preservation. You could preserve um, food, for example, in inside the uh, the air pump. Um, so, so Hook was um, vital for the uh, um, the science of the time. He was um, uh, really the engine of the Royal Society at, at that time as, uh, as curator. Um, but he had all these other strings to his bow as well as as well as spanning. All, all the kind of um, specialisms as we see in science nowadays. Um, he, he was an astronomer, a microscopist. Um, uh, he, he was a paleontologist. Uh, he, he did very interesting studies in, in fossils. Um, he, he had the. He, he was an artist. He, he was a. He played the organ. He learned how to play the organ at uh, at school. Um, he, he was multi talented. He, he was he was a genius. Um, Sadly, for his reputation, he, he came up against Isaac Newton um, later on, who, who, when he was president of the, the Royal Society, famously kind of tried to suppress the uh, the, the record or the or the memory of, of Robert Hooke. So, so I've, I've got Robert Hooke as uh, one of my main characters, uh, a genius, a polymath. Um, to to work effectively in a thriller, he also needs a sidekick, um, Hooke. Uh, by this time was severely hunchbacked um, uh, supposedly from all the work that he did over a turn lathe he, he uh, ex- explained that um, so, so I had his younger assistant as the as the kind of more um, action figure um, and uh, he he kind of uh, does the uh, brunt of the investigation and um, uh, gets himself into all, all sort of scrapes and so sometimes at hooks behest but sometimes uh, uh, going against his his uh, instructions, so they they made it to me. They they made an interesting pair, um, and uh, and also their their relationship. And it it started to become a portrait of my father, <laughs> my my relationship with my father. Um, Hook is quite kind of uh, tetchy and um, and judgmental, and I I like the kind of play between the uh, the, the two characters. So which of these two, Harry or Robert, are you most like? I'm hearing Harry. The, um, yes, Harry um, represents my woolly liberalism, I, I suppose, with, with his views. The, um, the the Royal Society at the time um, ex- expressed the desire to avoid zeal. They They had been through the civil wars. If you look at the early records of the, uh, Royal Society fellows. If you if you look at the, the membership, 
They were equally spread between people who had been royalists during the wars or they had been uh, for parliament. Um, they, they wanted to uh, have an, an absence of zeal, they, 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 uh, they said, and, and so, so that wouldn't bias their, uh, uh, their experiments. Uh, so Harry represents, in, in the face of all the kind of madness that ensues after the discovery of a blood-drained boy and the, uh, the, the um, reasons that are ascribed to his death, Harry Harry's the kind of cool-headed um, one who finds his way through to the, uh, the, the actual reason for the, for, for the boy's um, murder. Um, so so he, he represents the, the, the kind of new philosophical or scientific view, I guess. And, uh, uh, and I suppose I, I would like to think he's a, a little bit of a, a self-portrait. He's, he's certainly squeamish uh, like, like I am. Um, he, he sometimes acts be- before he thinks uh, like I do. Um, and his, uh, uh, you know, he, he's designed to be a contrast with uh, with Hook, who's the the, the rather severe um, genius polymath that uh, uh, is his mentor. But but he also wants to rebel uh, rebel a, a little bit against. So so my 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 succinct answer is uh, Harry. I'm I'm not nearly as clever as Hook. Rob, would you give us a no-spoilers plot summary of The Poison Machine? Without giving too much away, um, well, it's um, ov- obviously a sequel, um, and I, I wanted Harry to change um, from book to book. I, I, he's kind of becoming his own man. That was part of the uh, um, but the kind of forward motion of, of book one. He, he's coming out from under Hook's shadow. He wants to prove himself. And so, at the end of the uh, bloodless boy, he's, he's made an offer um, to to leave the royal society. Um, and in the poison machine, um, he he acts upon that offer. So he he leaves the royal society and goes to uh, work for the board of, of ordnance um, and, and a character who appeared in the in the bloodless boy. Uh, for more money, for, for mercenary reasons, um, really. Um, but uh, is uh, is sent to um, or asked to investigate a murder uh, of a dwarf, and uh, a man's remains have been found in the in the fens. So he leaves London, um, and to everybody's amazement, um, the, the the murder is of, uh, of a man who everyone thought was still alive. Um, an imposter has been uh, living in uh, uh, in the dwarf's uh, place. So Captain Jeffrey Hudson um, has been found murdered. Uh, the imposter has disappeared. Uh, Jeffrey Hudson, I, I should say, was the Queen's dwarf. And um, during the civil wars, he went to France with Queen Henrietta Maria, uh, King Charles I's wife, who was in France trying to... Uh, drum up funds for her husband's uh, army and, and for him fighting uh, the wars. And uh, uh, Geoffrey Hudson was insulted by a member of her retinue. Um, we, we don't know what about, but probably for his smallness. Um, the, the person who insulted him didn't realise that he was a great horseman and an excellent shot. Uh, and Geoffrey Hudson promptly uh, shot him dead. Um, uh, so, so there's this other strand of of what happened to 
Jeffrey Hudson when he escaped from, from France. The real Jeffrey Hudson uh, had disappeared for 25 years anyway uh, and came back twice his original height. Apparently, he was only 18 inches tall, which, which is quite extraordinary. But he, he came back uh, being about three feet tall. Um, so when, when I read that fact, um, I thought, hang on, these, these are two different men. So I turned that into a, you know, a, a, a fictional tale of uh, uh, murder, intrigue, spying. Uh, there's a diamond involved, uh, and Paris ends up chasing the, the imposter to uh, to Paris, um, where he becomes embroiled in the affair de Poison, which, uh, uh, like London, was going through the popish plot at the at the time. Uh, Paris was gripped in the hysteria of the affair de Poison. Uh, and he finds himself caught up in uh, in all of that. Um, without giving too much away, um, he, he then has to uh, try and save the uh, the queen. <laughs> wow! Yes, it's a lot like the first one. There's there's plenty going on. Um, it, it is it is absurd, uh, w w which I love. You know, I, I I try and make the absurd plausible. Plausible. Uh, hopefully, I've uh, I've pulled that off. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I want to write thrillers, so so um, lots of stuff has to happen, and, uh, and and Harry has to get himself into a fair amount of trouble, um, and find ingenious ways to uh, to get him out uh, out of that trouble. <laughs> now, the world of your characters is very scientific and detailed. How much research does it take you to write these novels? Well, this is what this is why my first book took so long. I, I um, wrote it around my my teaching um, job, so it was it was part time anyway. But um, it was a good um, eleven, twelve years of, uh, of you know letting the thing build and um, uh, c c the constant reading that I do kept informing uh, my my. Um, plotless mess that it uh, that it then was, and I, I would keep shoving shoving stuff in, um, uh, and then it ended up being a, a ridiculous length, and uh, and you and you end up simplifying it all uh, it all down. But the um, uh, you, you know the the science of it is is what I'm interested in, and obviously they they bring it to bear in their investigations, which is uh, I find that very attractive. Bringing bringing 17th century science and knowledge the the new philosophy as they termed it um to uh to, to try and solve murders um i, I just I, I still kind of think is a is a neat idea so i'm i'm uh, continuing with it um with with book two and i'm, I'm willing well into book three which is uh, uh you know uh, uh, another direct uh in, in a similar kind of slightly absurd um, vein well <laughs> So there's a third novel in the making. Can you tell us anything about it? It's uh, a direct sequel. Um, so, so unlike the first book, which I, I never planned and it took forever, uh, I never had an ending. Um, I, it's all very carefully planned and, and plotted. So I'm, I'm at the writing sentences stage. I, I would say I'm, I'm halfway through. In, in this one... Um, the the um, one of Hook's buildings um, that he designed and, and oversaw the building of was the Bethlehem Hospital, um, and uh, uh, this this book is is very much based around the Bethlehem Hospital, 
um, and and also the anatomy that uh, the Royal Society engaged themselves in. Um, so uh, it, it all it also moves into, although the Popish plot is is still kind of going on at this time, it moves more into the exclusion crisis, uh, where there was the, um, the 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 great debate and, and the great fear really of um, uh, Charles II's brother James taking over the throne, and, and he was a Catholic, which uh, uh, a lot of people. Um, were, were very worried about um and so uh, the the duke of monmouth um prince uh, king charles the second's um, illegitimate son uh, as he was a protestant he was he was being put forward and, and being championed as uh, as a successor to uh, to charles the second so uh, this this book deals with with all of that um i i just have to write the rest of the thing now which which does take a while Perhaps before we let you go, Rob, would you share with us your process of writing? Um, I, I learned a few lessons with with book one. I, I kind of let it gather and accrue, and you know, I'd, I'd read something, find find some particular plum of uh, of information, and ended up rewriting stuff all, all the time. I, it, it was ill disciplined, and it, um, it it took a very long time. I didn't have an ending. Um, book two. I, I started with the with the ending. I, I knew what the ending was, and I, I found that a far more uh, efficient way than to to plot the book out uh, and then to and then to write it out. So um, I, I probably had a, a something like a twenty thousand word, maybe fifteen thousand, twenty thousand word outline before I started getting precious about sentences. Um, and I, I found that a lot of the uh, you, you get get a split between plotters and pantsers. Pantsers like to sit and write and see what unfolds in in front of them. Um, I, I find it far easier to deal with things like characters wanting to go their own way, kind of outside my control. Um, if, if I have a long outline first, I can I can kind of stamp them down or or follow them. You know, it may, it may well. I'll lead to a, a better idea, but to do a long outline first, get, get a lot of things nailed down uh, be, before you you start getting precious about um, things like uh, word use, word order, um, word um, you know vocabulary, and uh, it, it can be very very sketchy. Uh, I, I found for me, I'm not saying um, to you know just a name drop here. I, I was chatting to Lee Child. Uh, he he is very you know he loves the the blank page he, he starts a new book on the same day of every year and he writes and he finds out what the book's about uh, while he while he writes it um i i have now gone very much to a, a planning um uh you know set set of mind where it just, it just makes me feel more more efficient more in control less panicky i i know when i start a chapter what that chapter is aiming towards. And I know the button at the end of the chapter that's hopefully going to make people uh, want to read a, another chapter before they turn the lights off. Um, it makes me feel more secure to, to have a, a detailed outline. So, so I've continued that on into into book three. Um, but, you know, Lee Child's written 27 books and sold them 100 million plus copies. What, what do I know? But, um, but that, that's my process at the moment. Rob, thank you so much for being with us. 
keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much indeed, Michael. It's been a pleasure to to, to meet you and uh, and chat to chat to you, and uh, and thank you for having me on your uh, on your show. Friends, you've been listening to New Books and Historical Fiction, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.